work with a population in our alumni who are deeply impacted by their experience here. And the overwhelming majority have fond memories of, their, of the time in their lives when they were here. And so they care about that experience. They want to know, a lot of times organizations might think, well, I don't want to bother them. Well, they want to be bothered if it's good content, if it's good information you're giving them, and they'll tell you what that looks like. This is Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Chris Johnson. Today we continue our seven-part series on Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri. And having gotten to know a little bit about this Christian higher education institution, I could tell you that you're in for a treat. You're going to be learning about an interesting topic today, which is about raising funds during a global pandemic. I mean, what a challenge that would be. But Evangel has more than 70 academic programs for its students, and I understand they are in the thousands now, 2,000 or so in the student body, and Hector can fill us in on that. And we do know that they are an accredited liberal arts university, and they are affiliated with the Assemblies of God, but have students from all kinds of denominations and from various countries around the globe. So we want to welcome Hector Cruz today. Welcome, Hector, and I'm going to share a little bit about who you are. But first of all, welcome to Charisma Connection. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you, and you have the interesting job of being Director of Development in the Advancement Department there at Evangel, and he builds relationships with friends of the university. He aims to enhance donor giving to better serve the students. And he's also a professor, an adjunct professor. He teaches leadership courses in the College of Adult and Graduate Studies. And I guess he has some spare time because he's launched a mobile app called Let's Do Lunch. And that's a personal assistant kind of app. And not only that, but he's got a blog called Daddy Lessons. So I think he has a few kids at home, don't you, Hector? I do, yeah. So um, he mentioned spare time. That's right. Uh, things are pretty busy, but I've got three beautiful children and a beautiful wife, and uh, they really are the reason why I do the things that I do. Well, they always keep you grounded, I bet. <laughs> That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, Hector Cruz, we welcome you to the show, and we want to know more about your role there at Evangel. It's no secret that the pandemic has impacted the ability of organizations and universities to proceed as normal, shall we say, with fundraising. So what impact have you seen at Evangel? Yeah, that's a, a great a great first question. And, um, you know, you mentioned that the topic today being fundraising during a global pandemic. And unfortunately, there there's no book or um, guideline like that that you can check out from the library. So um, 2020 was certainly um, one of the most abnormal years we've had for our traditional fundraising efforts. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean giving was down. It just means we had to find new ways of connecting with our alumni and donors and new ways of sharing our message. So um, for context, two major ways organizations fundraise are through traveling to visit with with donors in one-to-one or small group settings and events. 
And that's true for us as well. Those are two big ways that we um, go about supporting resource for the university. And depending on where you were or where you are in the country, both were pretty much shut down. Travel and events were pretty much shut down for the better part of 2020. So um, <clears throat> we had a major event at the beginning of March. And literally on the way back from that event, the shutdown was beginning to sweep the nation. We were seeing on, on TVs in the airport shutdowns starting to take place as we were traveling back to Springfield. And um, it was really incredible and inspiring to see the friends and supporters who attended that event stick by their commitments, even through such a tumultuous year. Um, and that was really inspirational for us, one of many things that was really inspirational um, during 2020. Um, once we returned from that trip, we had our, our spring appeal um, camp, uh, mail campaign prepared. Letters were stuffed, envelopes were addressed, and, and we were literally just waiting to drop them in the mail. And um, that's when things really started to, uh, to get serious, end of March, early April, and we made the decision at that point to, to cancel that campaign. It just didn't feel right to send a fundraising appeal letter when so many businesses were shutting down and stories of layoffs were popping up all over. Um, so we just felt like we needed to cancel that campaign. Instead, we, we sent out um, emails and, and things on social media just praying for, for our alumni and donors and things like that. So um, <clears throat> walking through the year, if I can, for sure. just a second to, to show the full impact. Um, as we moved into the summer, then um, we had to make a decision about our annual golf tournament. And this was an interesting one and one of the ones I'll probably bring up again, but we typically hold it in person, like many, um, a fundraising golf tournament. And we had recently expanded it to two flights because of its growth, and it had really become a significant fundraiser for us. Um, in 2020, we ended up making it a virtual tournament extended for the entire month of June. And um, as we moved on from there, we ended up having to cancel our annual summer alumni picnic um, as it was right at the beginning of the fall semester. And, and at that time in August, our focus was completely on starting the semester successfully. There was still lots of question on whether we were going to have students on campus. And so we decided to, to cancel anything that could potentially inhibit that. And uh, thankfully, we were able to have a successful fall semester. Um, and then lastly, this was probably the hardest decision to make was that we ended up canceling homecoming, one of our other big events that I mentioned earlier. I'm sure that was disappointing, disappointing to the students and to the alumni. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite parts is being able to see alumni come walk campus and reminisce about their time on campus and interact with the current with the current students. That's such a special privilege to be able to see alumni and current students interact and and um, I often make the comparison, it's kind of like when my kids, when I take my kids to see their grandparents, when I connect <laughs> those two, it's like I don't even exist. Different generations. That's right. And when I'm able to connect alumni with current students, it's like I don't even exist. They just hit it off and they love talking about what they're working on and things like that. So um, that was a tough decision, but I think it was the right decision. Uh, we did take a little bit of a financial hit by canceling homecoming, but um, the generosity of alumni, again, another silver lining for the year, uh, made up for it in other ways. And, and so it was really a, 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 an interesting year. Not to mention, one thing a lot of, a lot of people um, <clears throat> kind of forget is that it was also an election year. Uh, not that you forget there's an election, but the impact that an election year has on fundraising is also an, another, another thing to consider. So just lots of things going on. But uh, yeah, like all other 
fundraising organizations, we were we were impacted in ways we could not have imagined. I was going to say, I don't think we could forget about the election right now. <laughs> but good point. Yes, that That's does right. impact your fundraising. So, you know, you've had some creativity, some innovation in your fundraising opportunities this year. Virtual golf, how do you do that? Yeah, so it touched on that a little bit. Um, it, it, the golf tournament's really grown, and we were excited on, on the growth that it was taking place. And at that point, um, some of our local mandates here where we are, um, we were going to be unable to host it uh, in person. Golf courses were still open, um, but the, the challenge was being able to gather at the beginning and at the end of the, the tournament in a large group. I think of the limitation at that time was like you couldn't gather with 50 groups of 50 or larger. I can't remember the exact number, but it would have made it so that we couldn't do that. But um, we pivoted and we, we made it a virtual um, tournament over a month long. And so what we did was we um, allowed teams and sponsors, they could still sign up and participate. They would just pick a day in the month of June that worked for them and their team to play. They would go out and play their round, and a member from our office would go and meet them at the course, give them their gift bags that we would have typically given them on the day of the tournament, and then take photos of the teams. And that way, they were much smaller groups. It was easier you know, to distance and do all the things that, that were required of us at that time. And uh, given the circumstances, the response was overwhelmingly positive, and we were still able to raise a significant amount of scholarship funds for our students. And um, honestly, I think we found a new way to connect with alumni who may not live close by. I remember when we sent out um, the notification that we were moving the tournament to a virtual tournament, I received a response from an alum who lives in Egypt. And he was he, he responded and he was like, I'd love to participate if I could from Egypt. Oh, that's cool. And that's when I realized we might be onto something. So this year we're going to try to go back to our in-person tournament, but we're going to try to see what it would look like to do a global virtual golf tournament to support our students. So I'm excited to see what comes of that. How about some other sports, um, fantasy football or something? <laughs> Yeah, right. And, and there were some some other organizations that tried some of those things, too. But, uh, you know, I think it's about finding the silver linings in the midst of challenge and, and what you could learn from it. And I think this is one thing that I think we latched on to that will be interesting to see how it, how it performs moving forward. Right. Any other innovative fundraising opportunities you pursued this year? You know, I think a lot of um, organizations tried the virtual events and we talked about virtual events. Um, like for homecoming, for me, a lot of those events are about connecting in person and, and building relationship with people in person. And so um, a virtual event to me is, is better when it's more of a um, presentation or Q&A or things like that. So we didn't try a, a virtual event like the others have. And I've been tracking some of the other institutions that have done that. And, and the response has been mixed. Um, I think a lot of people agreed to do it for for last year because they knew the circumstances were such that that was really the only option and they still wanted to, to be able to participate and support. It'll be interesting to see how long virtual events stick around moving forward. I think we've all realized the importance of being together in person and that really um, not much can replace being able to look somebody face to face and build relationships that way. We did our best, but I, I think that's still going to come back once once some of these things are behind us. 
Yes, hopefully we'll get back to a lot of face-to-face. So it sounds like your donor base, though, has been pretty responsive. Have you observed any interesting trends related to giving during this time? Yeah, we've definitely been blessed by the response from our our donors. Um, That's an interesting question. Tracking the analytics from from 2020, it's going to be a challenge. I mentioned earlier that not only was it a global pandemic, um, but an election year also kind of throws a wrench into the the giving trends. Um, If you look at it historically, typically giving is down in an election year just because of the uncertainty. You add on top of that a global pandemic, and we were expecting to to, um, have a very challenging year. Thankfully, like I mentioned earlier, our alumni and donors were incredibly, uh, an incredibly huge blessing to us. Um, what our office is, is looking towards now is really more of a concern for this year, um, the next 12 to 18 months, because a lot of times in fundraising, as you're building relationships with people, um, there's events where you're asking for support right immediately, uh, but a lot of times you're dealing with people who are making decisions for the year to come. And so they're deciding on what they would like to do, how they would like to support your institution um, through commitments and pledges. And without events where we can communicate that message and, and have that conversation, that's kind of where we're turning our attention is, okay, how do we potentially um, respond to the lack of pledges or commitments that's out there that we would have had if we could have you know, had our normal travel and events? Um, and so that's where we're headed. We're starting to look at now that the year is officially done, you know, we're going to recap what our year end campaign for November, December, you know, did and start to look at some of the analytics as best we can. Um, but it's going to be interesting because there's really going to, it's gonna, the challenge is going to be what caused what effect when you have so many variables, um, that we're dealing with. Yes. That, that's been a year of variables, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. So what lessons have you learned that you'll go on implementing in future fundraising? Yeah, I mentioned a little bit about um, using video uh, or virtual events or more Q&A style events. I think that could be interesting to consider, not necessarily to replace a virtual event, but maybe to supplement the relationship building in between your events. So if an organization can't travel maybe as much as they used to, um, or, you know, maybe people's calendars are still a challenge to try to coordinate, Um, it could be interesting to keep the virtual um, portion of meeting with people to really allow them to ask questions and and, um, hear presentations rather than an entire virtual type of event. So that might be one that we look at doing, especially with some of our our closest supporters is having a Q&A with the president and things like that um, to see what kind of responses um, with that. We'll definitely pursue the global virtual golf tournament idea. I, I'm excited about that one just to see where we get people to participate from, um, working out the logistics of that um, now. But I think that'll be really fun to see how they participate. And we have a few others that we're working through, not quite ready to confirm and launch just yet. We're still in our planning phase for the year. Um, but just like last year taught us and in, in any industry that you're in, we're going to have to stay open to innovation and listening to what our alumni and donors are saying and really listening to what they're not saying as well. That's interesting. What, what do you think they're not saying? Well, I think when you offer new solutions or new strategies, you can receive feedback from alumni 
Um, and there can be critiques, but for example, using the golf tournament, we got a pretty positive response in terms of participation. Um, there were lots of people who responded and said, thanks, this was good, or you know, looking forward to the in-person one next year. But we didn't have anybody that said one of the things that they were not saying was this is a complete disaster, <laughs> you know, or this or this was a horrible idea. Um, and so, you know, you just have to be sensitive to what's being said and what's not being said and and take a little bit of both to be mm-hmm. able to move forward. Try to figure out what's really meant by some of the comments or the lack of comments. That's right. Exactly. Well, this is why you're the director of development. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fun job, and I I wouldn't want to be anywhere else doing it. I think I believe wholeheartedly in the mission of Evangel, and I'm just excited to be here for, honestly, for such a time as this. Excellent. Well, it has been a time of increased isolation over this past year. How important has it been to remain connected to the university's friends and supporters? Yeah, I mean, that's been the key to at least the success that we were able to experience is maintaining that connection. Um, You know, we were able to do that. Thankfully, we had systems in place already that were running smoothly to have monthly newsletters sent out, mail campaigns, um, phone calls, you know, to our different groups. Um, They were all critical to, to what we saw in 2020, maintaining that line of communication. And you have to really work hard. One of the things that we Feel wholeheartedly in our offices, we, we want to do everything we can to establish mutually beneficial relationships. So um, a lot of people and a lot of feedback that organizations hear um, from schools and nonprofits is that <clears throat> their constituents are only ever contacted when they're asking for money. And when I joined this office five years ago, that was something that, you know, we heard here and there from alumni that, oh, I only ever hear from Evangel when they're asking for money. And that should never be the case. If that's the case, you need to look really hard in the mirror and think, okay, what is my communication strategy? How often am I interfacing with people? And so um, we committed to a comprehensive communication strategy several years ago, and we saw our touch points with our alumni and donors jump from about six to eight touch points per year to 70 plus using all oh, modes of communication and, and segmentation. Yeah, we, we really got serious about consistently sending emails, um, got serious about social media. Um, we work with a population in our alumni who are deeply impacted by their experience here. And the overwhelming majority have fond memories of their of the time in their lives when they were here. And so they care about that experience. They want to know, a lot of times organizations might think, well, I don't want to bother them. Well, they want to be bothered if it's good content, if it's good information you're giving them, and they'll tell you what that looks like. You know, if you ask them, what would you like to hear from us, they'll tell you. So then you just go and tell them what they want to hear, not necessarily in a bad way. But if they say they want to hear how their academic department is doing, then why not put together a spotlight on the academic department and send it out? If they want to hear how enrollment is doing, then why not include an enrollment update, if that makes sense? So um, we invite them to be a part of of that strategy and that solution. And I think that's done a lot with being, being able to help our alumni and donors at least feel a little more connected to us, especially in a year where things felt Mm -hmm. so disconnected. And you're working with your alumni and your donors, but ultimately all of this benefits the students that are at Evangel now. And how many students are there now? We're just over 2,000, about 2,100. I was in the ballpark earlier. Yeah, you were. You were. (laughs) 
Well, thank you very much, Hector Cruz, for being with us today on Charisma Connection and sharing with us all the innovation that went into this year. And it's great that you have such strong connections with the alumni of Evangel because I'm sure that their time there was really special. Yeah, and, I, and I'm one of them too. So I can remember my time as a student and, and relate with some of the things that they want to hear and relate with the stories that they tell. And it's just a, it's an awesome opportunity. Well, one of the best places where they can keep in touch with the school is your website. Would you give us that uh, URL? Sure. It's www.evangel.edu. Evangel.edu. And for those who are just getting acquainted with the school, that's ev. A-N-G-E-L dot E-D-U, evangel dot edu. That's right. So thank you very much, Hector, for, for being with us today and for sharing these important things that are happening there at Evangel. I know that God is continuing to use your school, and I'm sure that it will long into the future. Thank you, Chris. It's been my pleasure, and I just appreciate you having me on. Well, it's great to meet you today. I'm Chris Johnson, and you've been listening to Charisma Connection. The Charisma Podcast Network is the place to grow your faith and understanding of the Spirit-filled life. We continue to add new shows there at CPN, and that's where you'll find many leaders in the body of Christ. So don't miss out. Go to cpnshows.com. That stands for Charisma Podcast Network, cpnshows.com. And thanks for listening today to Charisma Connection. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.